We are continuing our series, The Best Relationships Ever, and next week we're going to finish this series with a message about four things that you can do right now to improve your relationship with Jesus. And as a part of that, in all of our services, we will offer a chance for you to be baptized into Christ, to commit yourself to him fully. And if you think that that is something you want to do, if you've been thinking about giving yourself completely to him in the way that he asked by being baptized into him, then uh, if you already know that you might, might want to do that, all you need to do is take your connect card and write the word baptism on it somewhere, and we will contact you and help you understand uh, some of the details of that. If you have a child who is fifth grade or younger that you think is wanting to be baptized, we do require them to uh, go through some teaching before that's the case. And uh, again, if you just put that on the card, we would be glad to contact you and make that happen uh, so that uh, baptism can happen next week if that's an appropriate thing. So I hope that you will be here either Thursday night or next Sunday for that message. And that will be a great thing. I also want to tell you that beginning in two weeks, two weeks from today, we're starting a new series called Teach Us to Pray. And Jesus' followers, while he was here on earth, we have no record of them ever saying to him, would you teach us how to teach? We don't have any record of Jesus' followers asking him to teach them to heal. But we do know that Jesus' followers said to him, will you teach us to pray? Would you teach us to pray? At Impact, we want prayer to become an increasing focus as we depend on God's strength and God's power in our church and as we as individuals depend on God's strength and God's power in our life. And so in this series, we're going to learn how to pray from Jesus. We're going to walk through uh, the Lord's Prayer is what we call it. It's really the model prayer where Jesus teaches us to pray. And so uh, I hope that you will be here for all of those messages in that series. Um, let's begin today's message. In the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, in the chapter on his law of influence, we read these words. In the late summer of 1997, people were jolted by two events that occurred less than a week apart, the deaths of Princess Diana and Mother Teresa. On the surface, the two women couldn't have been more different. One was tall, young, glamorous, and a beautiful princess from England who circulated in the highest society. The other, a Nobel Peace Prize recipient, was a small elderly Catholic nun born in Albania who served the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, India. What's incredible is that their impact was incredibly similar. In a 1996 poll published by the London Daily Mail, Princess Diana and Mother Teresa were voted in first and second places as the world's two most caring people. That's something that doesn't happen unless you have a lot of influence. How did someone like Diana come to be regarded in the same way as Mother Teresa? The answer is that she demonstrated the law of influence. Now, 
if you are old enough, you remember how Diana rose to influence. She became the most talked about person in the world when she married Prince Charles in 1981. Nearly one billion people watched their wedding ceremony on television. I remember people staying up really late to see it or getting up really early to see it. And then people from that point on could never get enough of her. They could never get enough of her, this kindergarten teacher that became a princess. And at first she seemed a little awkward and shy and uncomfortable with the spotlight. But over time she began to travel to represent the royal family around the world at various functions. And she quickly made it her goal to serve others and to raise funds for numerous charitable causes. And she built influential relationships with politicians and entertainers and uh, organizers of humanitarian causes. Her influence grew tremendously. The book goes on to say this, in the beginning, Diana's title had merely given her a platform to address others, but she soon became a person of influence in her own right. In 1996, when she was divorced from Prince Charles, she lost her title, but that loss didn't diminish her impact on others. Instead, her influence continued to increase while that of her former husband and in-laws declined despite their royal titles and positions. Ironically, even in death, Diana continued to influence others. When her funeral was broadcast on television and BBC radio, it was translated into 44 languages. NBC estimated that that the total audience numbered as many as 2.5 billion people, more than twice the number who watched her wedding. Now, here's the thing. Both Princess Diana and Mother Teresa have been characterized in a number of ways. But one word that I don't think I have ever heard used to describe either one of them is leader. Leader. But that's what they were. They were influential leaders. I agree with John Maxwell when he says leadership is influence. Leadership is influence, nothing more and nothing less. So today, as we continue thinking about trying to discover actions that we can take to have the best relationships ever, we want to talk about four things that you can do right now. You can start doing them right now to improve your influence. Now, let's start with some truths about influence. Here's the first, first truth. Everyone has influence. When we think of influential people, we usually think of people who are rich and famous and powerful, entertainers and sports stars and politicians. But you don't have to be a high-profile person to influence others. If you connect with people at all, you are an influencer. Everything you do at home or at school or on the job or on social media has an effect on others. Everyone has influence. Here's the second truth. Your influence isn't equal with all people. Your influence isn't equal with all people. Even though you probably have an impact on everyone you connect with, you don't have an equal influence with each of them. I mean, you probably already know this from work. If you work with a team of people, you know that they don't all respond to your ideas in the same way. 
I mean, there are some that when you start putting forth an idea, they look really bored and they roll their eyes. There are others who think your ideas are always good. Now, I see this when I get up here to speak. There are some people who lean forward ready to take notes on their uh, notepad or their device. And there are other people who look like they're going to take a nap. Yes, I know who you are. I can see you. Okay. And so your influence isn't equal with all people. But here's the third truth. Your influence can be positive or negative. You are a person of influence But you get to decide whether you're a good influence or a bad influence. The difference is whether you do positive things and say positive things or whether you're always doing things that are negative and saying critical and negative things. Another truth, you can decide to use your influence in a positive way. Now, I know that sounds the same as the above, but it really isn't. Positive influence is a decision that we make. It's the focus that we have to use our influence. Even if you have been a bad influence in the past, even if you just really have messed things up and you were a bad influence in the past, you can decide to influence people in a positive way going forward. You can change that. You can decide to intentionally give positive value to other people's lives by exerting positive influence. And another truth Jesus gave us the job of influencing the world for him. Jesus gave us the job of influencing the world for him. If you are a follower of Jesus, you really don't have a choice. You don't really have a choice because following him means influencing others for him. Look at what Jesus said in his famous Sermon on the Mount, start with verse 13 of chapter 5 of Matthew. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its salty taste, it cannot be made salty again. It is good for nothing except to be thrown out and walked on. You are the light that gives light to the world. A city that is built on a hill cannot be hidden, and people don't hide a light under a bowl. They put it on a lampstand so that the light shines for all the people in the house. In the same way, You should be a light for other people. Live so that they will see the good things you do and will praise your Father in heaven. Jesus uses two pictures to describe us as his followers. He says that we are salt and light. He wants us to be salt and light. Now, salt was used in Jesus' day to preserve meat and food during a time when there was no refrigeration. So as the salt of the world, Jesus wants us to preserve our culture and the society around us with our influence. And salt was also used to season things, to make things taste better. So by our contact with the world, we are to season it. We're to make the world better. And when Jesus says that we are the light that gives light to the world... The point is that this world we live in is a really dark place. The world we live in is a really dark place. And Jesus uses us to expose the darkness. He uses us to help light the way that he wants people to go. Both salt and light influence everything that they come into contact with. Salt changes everything that it contacts and light changes everything it comes into contact with. So Jesus is calling us to be influencers for him. 
So how can you improve your influence? Let me give you four things that you can start doing right now to improve your influence on others. The first is this, start walking like you're being followed. Start walking like you're being followed. If you know that someone's trying to follow you when you're driving, do you drive differently? I remember years ago when I was in high school, my family was driving to my grandparents' house and we noticed right in front of us was our pastor's car. We could see that there were two people in the front seat and about the time we noticed, the pastor's car turned into a gentleman's club. And we were kind of shocked by that and while we were Staring with our mouths open, we saw our pastor and his wife turning and waving and laughing. They pulled out of the club and right behind us. They came up to us at the next signal. They just thought it was hilarious that we saw them do that. They, were they knew we were following. And so they did something different that time. At least we hope it was different. Anyway, um, but uh, when someone's following you, you drive a little bit differently. And we all need to go through life as if we're being followed. I mean, if you knew that your children or your best friends were going to end up where you're heading, would you walk differently? Would you go a different direction? Would you change how you lived your life if you knew that you were being followed? Look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. Jesus told them this story. Can a blind person lead another blind person? No, both of them will fall into a ditch. A student is not better than the teacher, but the student who has been fully trained will be like the teacher. And let me change that last part just a little bit. A child is not better than the parent, but the child who has been fully trained will be like the parent, will be like the parent. You cannot lead people where you will not go. You cannot teach what you do not know. Your students, your children will not be better than you. When they're fully trained, they will be like you. They will be like you. And they will be like you because they follow the example that you set. They follow the example you said. I, I love the story I read one time. I really don't know if it's a true story or not, but it's a great story. The story is, says Lee Trevino, the golfer, was conducting a golf clinic years ago, and he had taken his 14-year-old daughter with him, and he was demonstrating a technique, and he decided to draw his daughter into the clinic, and he said to his daughter, honey, show them what I taught you to do with your nine iron. And she took the club, and she hit a really poor shot, and she shouted obscenities and she threw the club about 10 yards down uh, the fairway. I like what Albert Schweitzer said. Example is not the main thing in influencing others. It's the only thing. Example is not the main thing in influencing others. It's the only thing. 
So we need to start living our lives like people are following us, like people are going to become like us. And when we're working hard to live for Jesus, we can be confident that when people follow us, they will end up acting like Jesus. They will end up living like him. Here's, what one of the, here's the way one of the followers of Jesus said it. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I like that. I like that. It's a good thing for you to say to your kids, to your grandkids, to others around you. You can say to them, when I follow Christ's example, follow me. You'll get to the right place if you follow me when I'm following the example of Christ. When I don't follow the example of Christ, follow Christ. Don't follow me. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's a good thing to say. The second way to start improving your influence now is to start seeing people like Jesus sees them. Start seeing people like Jesus sees them. In 1 Samuel 16, when God asks Samuel to look for the next king, he sends him into the home of Jesse. And uh, Samuel sees this uh, tall and good-looking guy first. And he thinks this must be the king, but God says he's not the one. And then God says this, God does not see the same way people see. People look at the outside of a person, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. So often, we just look at the outside. We just look at the outside of a person. I mean, we see people who are confident and beautiful, and we think they must have it all together. They've got it all together. They must know their stuff. We see leaders and we don't think that they struggle with the same things that we struggle with. They must have it all together. But God doesn't look at the outside. God sees the heart. He sees the heart. And the heart is much different, isn't it? The heart is much different. I mean, you might look really good today. On the outside, you look good. And you worked really hard to look good Maybe because you don't like what you know is inside at all. You don't like yourself very much because of some of your insecurities and your sins. And you might be smiling today. You might be sitting next to your smiling spouse and yet you're both kind of faking it sometimes, aren't you? I mean, you don't want people to see that you had a big argument in your house just before you left for church today. You see, you can fool many people. Because most people just see the outside, but God sees the heart. When God looks at this room, he sees a room full of broken people. He sees people who are hurting, people who need his hope. So what if we started doing that? What if we started seeing people like Jesus sees them? What if we start assuming that everyone we meet is struggling in some way. That boss at work that's really hard to please might be getting pressure from her boss and be worried that she'll lose her job if she doesn't turn things around. The person who talks your ear off and says really inappropriate things may have gone all week long without anyone making them feel valuable or likable. What hurts are the people that you meet struggling with? And you know they are because you are. You know they are. And if you knew they were hurting, 
would you react differently to them? Would you try to comfort them? Would you listen more closely? Maybe here's a different way to look at it. Has someone close to you ever had a tragedy in their life or a special circumstance that affects their behavior? Maybe it was a death close to them that causes them to not deal well with loss. Or their parents split up and the kids are trying to make sense of it. Or they suffered abuse and that affects how they react to people. Whatever the situation, if you know somebody like that, you feel like you want to explain to people why they should understand their behavior of your friend or treat them differently because of it. You think that, right? You want to explain to teachers and to co-workers and to people at church. Here's the thing. All of us have something like that in our life. All of us have something like that in our lives. The person sitting next to you does. The people you work with do. Everyone does. We just don't know what it is. But Jesus does. Jesus does. And he sees the heart. He responds to the heart, not to what he sees on the outside. So let's start seeing people like Jesus sees them. Let's assume there's something, and let's show grace, let's show love with each other rather than frustration. Let's begin to pray, Jesus, please help me to see people the way that you see them. Let me see their heart, not just their behavior. Let me love them the way that you love them and influence them with your love. A third action that you can take to improve your influence is to start praying for opportunities. Start praying for opportunities. Look at Ephesians 5. It says this, I mean that you should use every opportunity you have for doing good because these are evil times. So don't be foolish with your lives, but learn what the Lord wants you to do. Some of you don't think that you have any opportunities to be influential. You don't think that you can influence anyone. I think you do. I think you can. But why not start praying that God will point out the opportunities in your life that you have to make a difference for him? It's amazing. When we pray for opportunities, he gives them to us. That's how our church came to own this facility. I mean, God had caused our church to grow and uh, uh, to the point that the building that our church was in for over 40 years was full. And we kept asking God for more opportunities even then. Even when our building was full, we kept asking for more opportunities, uh, opportunities to help us find a way to show his love to more people in this community and around the world. And we had a picture of what that would look like. But when he opened the door for us to buy this building, we knew that God had something bigger in mind for us. And that's when we began thinking about giving the airport area a community center that they could use all week long to build relationships with other people in the community and, uh, and a place where our church could meet to help people experience the love of God in very real ways. So what about you? If you want to improve your influence, just begin to pray. Pray that you will really let God love you and that you will let him love other people through you. Pray that he will put people in your path that you can help, that you can influence. And he may help you see a need that one of your neighbors has. Or to put your, on your heart, he may put something on your heart that is an ongoing need like homelessness or hunger or people who are hurting. And he may use you to help solve that problem and meet that need. God loves it 
when we ask him for opportunities to make a difference for him. So start praying for opportunities. The last thing you can do now to improve your influence is to start serving like Jesus would serve. Start serving like Jesus would serve. If we follow Jesus' example, we have to help people in need. There's no choice. If we follow his example, we have to help people in need. We have to serve. Jesus himself said he didn't come to earth to be served, but to serve others and to give his life for people in need. But let's be honest. We like to be served. We like it when people serve us. Uh, We like to be served, don't we? And um, in fact... We go places expecting people to serve us, and then we go onto social media or onto a site like Yelp or Google, and we write a review and tell how well people served us. I was thinking about that. What if the people in your life went on Yelp or Google and wrote a review for how you serve? What if they wrote a review for how you serve them? I mean, what if your kids reviewed how well you did with breakfast this morning for them? Or how well you did with dinner last night? What would that sound like? When my kids were young, a breakfast review might have sounded something like this. Today I had breakfast at my house, if you could call it that. Basically, as we ran out the door late for school again, my dad threw a packet of mini donuts at us and said, each of you get three. I told him I don't like the chocolate ones, but he just said, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. I give him one star for his service, one star for the food, and negative five stars for his attitude. If you have the choice to go to the Smith house next door, they always have a hot breakfast. Go there instead. Sometimes our attitude towards people who serve us can be pretty selfish and negative, can't it? Because we think we deserve to be served. We think we deserve to be served instead of serving others. But if you're trying to be like Jesus, if you're trying to follow him, you have to start seeing yourself as the one who is serving instead of the one who's being served. You have to see yourself as the one serving. Look at what it says in Galatians 5. My friends, you were chosen to be free, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do anything you want. Use it as an opportunity to serve each other with love. All that the law says can be summed up in the command to love others as much as you love yourself. It is true that when we decided to trust Jesus, we were given freedom. When we decided to cross the line of faith and become a follower of Jesus, we were given freedom from our sin. We were given uh, freedom from condemnation. And freedom is a great thing until we use it as an excuse to do whatever we want to do. Instead, as followers of Jesus, we need to use our freedom as an opportunity to serve other people with love. That's what Jesus did. He served us with love. And to serve like Jesus, I have to become others-oriented. 
I have to become others-oriented. My focus has to be on the needs of others, not my own needs. I need to think about how I can serve others, how I can make life easier for them. And if I'm serving like Jesus, the focus uh, isn't on whether serving is convenient or not. It isn't about whether serving feels fun or about whether it fits my schedule. It's about how I can do the most good to help the most people in the name of Jesus. And serving like Jesus means that I listen to people, that I will work to help them if I can, that I will make them feel accepted where they're, where they're at and then help them to feel motivated to become the person that God wants them to become. We're running out of time, but I want you to hear clearly that you are a person of influence. You are a person of influence. There is someone in your line of sight who needs you to help them, that needs you to help make life easier in the name of Jesus. But hear this too. Influence isn't about you. It isn't about you. Now many business books that you will read will say it is. The books will tell you how to manipulate people to get what you want, and then they will call that influence. When you see people like Jesus sees them, and when you serve people like Jesus would serve them, it isn't ever about getting what you want. It's about loving them like Jesus would love them. Influence is about them. It's about their needs, not about you, not about your needs. As we come to the end of this message about influence, I think some of you might still be struggling with this concept a little. You might be sitting in your chair thinking, Pastor, I really don't, I really don't have any influence. I have no influence. I, I'm just a normal person. I go to work every day. I go to school every day. And I could never stand up there and speak in front of people like you're doing right now. And I would mess it up if I tried to influence somebody towards Jesus. I would just mess it up. If you're still wondering if your life could influence anyone in a good way, let me ask you a question. Do you know who Edward Kimball was? Do you know who Edward Kimball was? Let me tell you, Edward Kimball was a shoe salesman in Chicago about 160 years ago. He was a shoe salesman in Chicago. And one day, while he, was while he was selling a pair of shoes to a young man, he shared his faith in Christ. And he end up, ended up leading his customer, this young man, to faith in Jesus. The young man's name was Dwight L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody decided to go into ministry and he began to preach and as a result of his preaching, hundreds of thousands of people came to faith in Christ. One of the men that came to faith in Christ was a man named J. Wilbur Chapman who later became a pastor and a hymn writer and God used Chapman to influence and lead a major league baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday to Jesus. Billy Sunday was a firebrand itinerant preacher who preached around the country in tents and in meeting houses. And one of the people that Billy Sunday influenced and converted to Christ was a young man by the name of Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham. 
Mordecai Ham also went into ministry. He was used by Jesus to influence as many as 300,000 people to come to faith in Christ. And one time, Mordecai Ham was preaching a revival in Charlotte, North Carolina in 1934 when a young man responded to the gospel and surrendered his life to Christ. The young man's name was Billy Graham. It is estimated that Billy Graham preached live to over 215 million people in stadiums from 1948 to 1998. And he influenced countless millions of people through television. And in one of his California revivals, there was a couple there named Jim and Jeanette Cunningham. They chose to follow Christ that night. They started going to church and they uh, helped their young daughters come to faith in Christ. One of their daughters is my wife, Jill, who has influenced uh, our girls towards Jesus, who has been influencing Impact Kids for Christ and many others towards Christ. Now talk about the domino effect of influence. All of this happened. My wife is a follower of Jesus today because a shoe salesman over 150 years ago in Chicago, Illinois, shared his faith with a customer. You can do that. You can do that. In some way, big or small, you can be used for Jesus to start a domino effect of influence that will change the world. Let Jesus change the world through you. Let's pray. Father, in this room, there are people who you want to use in big ways to make a difference for you. There are people who you just simply want to use to say a simple word of encouragement to somebody. Father, in whatever way you want to use us to influence people, we just want to say we're here, we're ready. Father, I pray that you'll take away the fear. I pray that you will take away the thought that people in this room have that they're just not very valuable, that they're just not very important. And Father, help them to see the task ahead of them. Help them, Father, to be used by you. Father, help us to see people the way that you see them. Help us, Father, to realize that people are following us. Father, give us opportunities and Father, Give us those opportunities as we serve each other in love. Father, we're just so thankful that you have loved us with an everlasting love. We're thankful, Father, for the domino effect of influence that brought us close to you. Now, Father, use us in the life of others. In Jesus' name, amen.